0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here today with my co-host, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Stephanie. We're also here with our producer, Jimmy. Hi, Steph. And we are here with the Love Doctor. We are here with Associate Professor Suming si Teo, and we're calling her the Love Doctor today because she is a romance expert. So, hi, Suming. Si hi, Steph. I have to apologise in advance for calling you the Love Doctor, but it was your <laughs> suggestion. I want it on the record. Um, so, the reason we we are all here today is because it is Valentine's Day. And although I disapprove of Valentine's Day as a concept, because <laughs> I think it was a fake holiday invented by Hallmark, um, I thought Can that... Can call you the Grinch?
1: The Valentine Grinch? The
0: Valentine's Grinch, I am. But I thought it was a good opportunity to talk about some of literature and film and television's greatest or not-so-greatest love stories. And because I like a bit of subversion, I'm going to ask the the Love Doctor to read a quote by Jermaine Greer. So over to you, Suming. Si
2: Okay, so, Steph, this is what the original Valentine's Grinch has got to say about (laughs) love. Love, love, love. All the wretched cant of it, masking egotism, lust, masochism, fantasy under a mythology of sentimental postures, a welter of self-induced miseries and joys, blinding and masking the essential personalities in the frozen gestures of courtship. In the kissing and the dating and the desire, the compliments and the quarrels which vivify its barrenness. And that is Germaine Greer from The Free Male and Eunuch Celebrating Love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you for bringing that to us. And perhaps we might talk about... um, whether that is a, an accurate reflection of the love stories that we see in the in the text that we're t- going to talk about. But now that we've started with a bit of subversion, I'm going to throw to Jimmy because he's the most sappy romantic of all of us in this room. And I'm okay, going to ask him... <laughs> he, and he owns that. He's, I he, do. He owns it. So I'm going to ask him, why are you such a sappy romantic? And also, can you tell me about some of your favourite love stories? Well, you know, I was
1: thinking about that while you guys were talking, well, you know, <clears throat> basically... Poo-pooing the romance genre, I was trying to f- figure out why it is that I like it so much, and I can put it all down to one particular company or one particular studio, and that is Walt Disney. See, so I grew up watching <laughs> Disney films or Disney cartoons, I should say, and they have warped my sensibilities completely, <laughs> and that's fine. I'm happy with it.
0: Uh, <laughs> so instead of Cinderella, ate my daughter the the book about it. Still, C- Cinderella ate my son.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah so pretty much, <laughs> uh, you know. So my first film at the cinemas was actually Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast, obviously. The one where the beast comes back to life, not the, not the fairy tale where the beast actually dies. Uh, which would have probably changed my view of romance if I'd encountered that story <laughs> initially. But I encountered that story first uh, and to this day it still remains one of my favourite, if not my favourite, Disney film. Um, there's something about it that I just love. I think there's a I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sappy for happy endings. I do like a good happy ending but it has to be a good happy ending it can't be a stupid you know um, cliche happy ending and for some reason Beauty and the Beast works for me um, mm-hmm. I like the mythology of Beauty and the Beast I like the idea of people being able to change their minds and change their perceptions about other people um, so this one you know it's most people's I think fantasy uh, a beauty falling in love with someone who's not so quite so beautiful but then you know, if we look at it from a different point of view he does become beautiful in the end which doesn't quite work <laughs> in, in that particular way but i do like that idea i like the idea that people can change their mind change their views uh and really uh, the transformative power here is love which is you know what we're talking about today you know, for valentine's day so how love can change our perceptions of other people uh and in fact another one of my favorite is pride and prejudice and again <coughs> that is all about people changing their minds changing the way they They see other people, not just physically, but also um, in terms of their personality as well. So I do like that uh, almost liberal sense of being able to change your mind. And I think love can do that. When you do fall in love with someone, you do change your mind about them. You may not like them from the start, but afterwards, you do. You know, now I'm sounding like a complete staff. So, <laughs>
2: No, you, you sound like no, a closet no. American, actually. I know, I do. You know, well,
1: I, I think we'll off American yeah, yes. cinema. Just blame American. the Americans. Yeah, yes. we'll, we'll blame the Americans. Do you
0: find, though, the Beast mm. a bit disappointing when he becomes a man?
1: You know what? My sister <laughs> uh, absolutely hates the Beast as a man. She said he's so ugly. Yeah. Uh, that's her first comment. She's like, "Oh, so It's
0: way more interesting Well,
1: funny she said that because... Um, I came across a quote from, I think it was Greta Garbo, she first saw the uh, Jean Cocteau version of Beauty and the Beast, which is fantastic as well Uh, and when the beast transformed into man, uh, apparently Garbo stood up and said, no, give me back my beast! So she wanted the, the beast she didn't want the man anymore and I, I didn't have a problem with the beast turning <laughs> into a man, but apparently a lot of women <laughs> do have a problem with the beast turning a into a man. It's
2: a bit of closet bestiality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: so should we talk about that here with I three know. women? Did you, well, did you guys have a problem also, with that?
2: It, it might be why Shrek is also so popular. Yes. Because they stay ugly. They don't turn into these beautiful people, and it's yes. like ugly people can find love too. Yes. Yeah.
0: There's Somebody for everybody. Mm. Yeah,
1: and, and it, in fact, it's actually the opposite because Princess Fiona becomes or, or stays as the ogre. Yes. She, she started off beautiful, and she becomes an ogress, and yeah, then she stays curious. an ogress. So uh, and I do love Shrek as well. Mm. So, no, I, I am a sucker for Happy Ever After, and you're the, or the H-E-A, mm-hmm. as the article uh, called it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's very much. But, Michelle, you're the other Grinch in, in this. We were trying <laughs> to figure out a romance novel or film that Michelle could talk about.
0: And we and want that, her no Kafka.
1: Yeah, no, no. well, the best that she could offer us was Madame Bovary. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Look, no, no, I I have been sitting here and I remembered back into my um, (laughs) distant years, way, 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 way way, way back, Um, and I must have been in primary school, so, oh my goodness, I don't know what, um, (laughs) but I adored, and I think we've spoken about this before, I adored Mary Stewart. In, oh, yes. I do yes. remember mm-hmm. just mum had a collection of Mary Stewart. And the day that I reached the end of the Mary Stewarts, I do think I wondered if the world would ever be the same again. And so I went back to the start and, <laughs> and read them again. So I think it was something about the combination of because there was often a little bit of, um, you know, sort of. Uh, crime or um, mystery element or a bit mm. of danger and they were usually set in um, you know beautiful locations. Um,
0: She's suspense isn't she? Yeah yeah. yeah. Yes.
3: so so I, I feel as though I am going to um, revise my reputation. <laughs> as, so as you're not as going romance. with Madame and No, <laughs> Well no no because I think it would it, it would be misleading, because I did love Mary Stewart mm-hmm. as a, a very, very young um, girl. But do you still? Um, well, I haven't read her since, <laughs> so I, I can't. Um, but then the other thing, and that was the movie that we both agreed that we did enjoy, um, was Stardust. Yes. I, I did enjoy Stardust, so I must have, I must have a... And that's <laughs> a happily stardust. ever after, It, it is with it a is. very
1: sappy storyline, I must say, which I love.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so there you go.
0: But maybe um, you need a bit of suspense and mystery and, and possible crime. Um, and witchcraft. Yeah. Well, you
3: know, and, and it was funny. It was, you know, it was darkly humorous because people kept dropping dead well, along the way, well, and obviously siblings kept that funny.
1: Siblings kept <laughs> killing <laughs> each other, so maybe that that was the appeal for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we just
0: need a <laughs> side, like, of, need side to, of murder. I,
2: yeah. yeah, I agree. I think you know my favorite romance novels, and then studying this as an academic, um, the ones I enjoy reading are the ones with a good murder at the heart of it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need a murder in order to get to believe their love story.
2: Uh, not necessarily it's um I think it 's how this the novel is structured mm. if it's um, if it 's just a pure romance, everything uh, focuses on the um the couple the you know the lovers, all the things that bring them together, break them apart, bring them together, break them apart. And it gets dull, whereas mm. I think in most of the um, the crime romances or the suspense romances, they're working towards a common goal. Mm. So um, some of the obstacles are not so irritating.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I find those, the, the, the romances where there's just a romance really, like the complications are often really clumsy or fabricated mm-hmm. or seem like these are things that if you just sat down and had a five minute conversation, wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> but they have to be an issue because they need, you need some conflict to make a yeah. novel. I remember you telling me about J.D. Robb.
2: Oh, because yes, yes, yeah. um, because she writes, uh, um, I mean, the, the J.D. Robb series, um, so J.D. Robb is the s- um, pseudonym of Nora Roberts. Mm. The Roberts books are mm. all romances. A lot of them are crime, have turned to crime romances, but the J.D. Robb is bi- basically a p- police procedural. Mm. So the romance is pretty much, um, you know, they're married by the end of, what, the fourth book or something like that, and mm. then the rest of it is really them working out their relationship as a married couple, uh, but that's in the margins of the crime. Yeah. But I think the only romance novel I've um, read which really uh, deals with obstacles and complications in a realistic way um, is Jennifer Cruz's Fast Women. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that's my favorite romance. I think it's a painful romance to read, <laughs> um, as in emotionally painful, um, not grating. You know. Yeah. Um, Why but, is
0: that? Like, did you want to talk about the novel a bit?
2: Oh, okay. Because I think, and uh, this is almost an anti-romance novel. Um, she begins with two protagonists who um, who have been married and whose marriage are fo- uh, marriages are falling apart. And I think in most romances, there is the assumption that, well, you know, even if they'd been married before, it wasn't true love or it wasn't real mm-hmm. love. And she starts with the assumption that their marriages were made, uh, were marriages for love. So they did love the person that they were married to, but it's just that they changed, circumstances changed, and then they fell out of love. Right, so um, so this is almost breaking the taboo um, of the romance myth that there is the one true love, mm. um, and if you've had other partnerships, other sexual partners, and all of that, then not the real love of your life. Mm. And so Fast Women, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, tackles all of those taboos and says, well, these are two characters, hero and heroine. They've had previous marriages. Um, they did love the person before, but they've changed as people as they got mm. older. And it's also about also uh, uh, older protagonists. I think they're in their late 30s or uh, no, probably their 40s. Mm. Um, Which
0: is old for a romance Yes, yeah.
2: uh, yes, it is. And so they're looking at well, how can two people um, with very different paths, with all kinds of control issues, yeah. <laughs> get together? Um, and how does this work as a romance? So it's structurally interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah,
0: and much more kind of interesting than, um, as you say, that that one true love paradigm that, yes. is, that sort of infects a lot of um, more yes. kind of the film I think more so than
2: because there's uncertainty in the end yeah. if what they thought was true love ended that's the first love the first marriage how do they know that this second relationship is going to work Exactly yeah exactly because that whole happily ever after is really premised on the notion that we
3: are sort of a consistent self from yes. day mm. 1 to to the end isn't yes. it or or that in you know that that's um that notion or that ideal of love that we can sort of find a way to be um, constant, yes. um, which is which is which is a very much a, a, a sort of a, a construct. And I mean, I think that's the other really fascinating thing about romance is that mm-hmm. it always draws into. Uh, it draws uh, to attention um, what 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 are the, the social constructs that are producing a particular mm. notion of romance at yes. any one point in time and, and they certainly change over time don't yes. they? And they also change across cultures.
2: Yes, um, yes because Jimmy, I mean you talked about how love transforms mm. um, but we assume like, as Michelle says that that's the end of the transformation yes. but what if they go on changing after mm. the happily ever after?
1: Yeah, I mean because uh, there's another set of films that are also I don't know whether like is, is the right word. They, I can only watch one of them a year, I think. Uh, and then I, that's, <laughs> that's my tolerance. So while you were actually talking about all that, I was thinking about two films in particular. Uh, one was Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage, which mm-hmm. is you know about the 10-year the marriage of this couple. doesn't end happily ever after, mm-hmm. uh, let's just say that. And the other one, which Michelle has seen, I, th- I believe, is um, uh, Amour, Michelle mm-hmm. um, Hanukkah. Mm. Uh, which has one of the most violent slap scenes I've ever seen. It's
3: horrific, <laughs> it's, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's
1: so horrific. Um, but it does put, you know, so I think probably Amour is a little bit more interesting because they were presumably quite a happy couple until she developed Alzheimer's or was it dementia. I can't remember which one. Uh, and then you see their marriage starts to break up because of this slip in her memory until you get to that point where, you know, um, where that very, very violent slap happens uh, and if anyone's seen Haneke's film, he's he's a very violent director. But that for me was one of the most violent moments because it, it was the the dissolution of quite a long and presumably happy marriage.
3: But it was also the transformation of the domestic because mm. it became the prison. Yeah, you know, and and that was very much what you felt because I I think from memory that entire movie took place within the apartment. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, and and so you did. You just got that that sort of it was a transformation of mm. of the actual sort of. Um, location and territory of the home, mm. um, where because it, it it was very much centred on you know sort of the, the 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 coffee pot, the breakfast scene, the the objects that give us the sense of um, of home, of the domesticity, and the way yeah. that they
1: changed with. The and yeah, and, and it's just so bleak, though. You know, it, it actually makes me really understand. Blanche Du Bois, you know, I actually feel like quoting her and saying, you know, look, I don't want realism. I want magic. <laughs> <laughs> and really, you know, <laughs> when you're looking at a, a romantic film or a romantic book, that's really what you're after. You're after the yes. magic, the, the idealism of romance rather than the reality of romance. I mean, there's quite a lot of films, very good films too, mind you, uh, that deal with the, um, the realism of mm-hmm. love stories but by the end of it, you know, I just want to slip my wrists. So. Yeah, but, <laughs> but,
3: but but I also think um, like Blue
1: Valentines. Has anyone seen that? Mm, yeah. Oh dear God, it's a great film. But <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, but also to return Why? to to return to the to the Greer as as, mm. as well. You know, you have that notion and that critique of romance as a way of that it's, it's always just been a way of managing or controlling sexuality, you mm-hmm. know, the fact mm-hmm. that humans ha- have to reproduce. It's the basis of any one society. And so let's dress it up in a way that makes it look good for women, <laughs> you know, makes them willing to put their hand up and mm-hmm. go, yeah, I, I'll stand up for that role. In fact, I want it, you know, I, I, I want to be that maiden, you know, who, you know, who, who unbeknownst goes into the marriage yeah. to live happily ever after with that sense of that happily ever after mm-hmm. often as a, a sort of a chasm of the unknown that they're stepping into but as long as you dress up the courtship um, she'll go willingly
0: mm-hmm. um, Well, assuming there was this lots of interesting um, research in, in romance studies mm-hmm. about that and a lot of disagreement and I think that was that argument that um, romance kind of kept women compliant yes. um, was a factor in romance scholarship in say the 80s Um, and now we're I think that where romance scholarship is now is a little bit different. But did you want to explain what that argument was sort of premised on?
2: Yes, it's basically stemming from Greer's work and mm. um, and Bassnett. all the second wave feminists who um, thought that reading romance novels um, brainwashed women into accepting patriarchy and accepting inequality in the workplace, um, you know, at home, and all the rest of that. Um, there was some sympathetic uh, sc- uh, feminist scholars such as Janice Radway. She thought that well, romance reading is actually comforting for women because women read it um, they don't uh, they provide nurture in the home they don't themselves don't get emotionally nurtured and so she argued that romance novels provided nurture emotional nurturance for um for women readers, but she, you know, she sort of tut tutted at the end and said, "Well, but they don't provide a blueprint for revolution." And I guess it was at that point that romance readers just completely laughed at her and said, "Well, you know, we know it's not <laughs> realistic. It's precisely because we don't want to watch films like Blue Valentine <laughs> that we're reading romance novels." I mean, how dumb do you think we are? We can tell the difference between mm. reality and um, and a book that just makes us feel
0: good. Um, yeah, and you're probably and not looking for a blueprint for revolution in a romance novel or you
2: know? any other novel how okay. many novels you know like yeah. literary novels how many literary novels are offering us blueprints for revolution exactly exactly yeah
0: I mean and it, and it's fun to read yes. a novel that you know is going to make you feel good and you know is going to end happily that's comforting
2: yes and I think you know, um, there was a book and an uh, an edited book put out by one of the um American rom- romance writers Jane Ann Krebs and she uh, and romance writers were basically saying, "Look, we like writing this stuff, and women like reading it because women win; they get everything. Um, it's not just that they conform to men's world, but that men transform to conform uh, to conform to our world and our values."
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, and mm. I mean, and it's a it's a genre that really places women at the center. Yes, like it's all about women and their desires and their you know, how they want their lives to proceed. So that's, yes. that and in I, itself is feminist.
2: And I think it's really important because, to come back to my favourite romance, okay. Persuasion, yeah. <laughs> Jane Austen's Persuasion, um, I'm really intrigued by the last or the, sec, the, the the penultimate scene where Anne is talking to Captain Harville about, do women love more than men or uh, men, mm-hmm. you know, do men more, love more strongly? And he appeals to the canon, basically. Um, and she says, um, no, I'm not going to allow that as evidence because it's all been written by men. Mm-hmm. And what Austen does is so revolutionary because she gives women a voice in terms of articulating the the experience of love and romance from a woman's point of view from, uh, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so that's what romance novelists do.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and that final conversation, I think, is, is so wonderful because Anne also points out that men have all of these things, Yes. To occupy their time. Mm. Yes. To take them away from the home and the domestic and, you know, jobs and mm-hmm. warfare and, you know, managing estates and all of this. But women just have to, at least at that point in history, just sit at home. Yes. And wait. And wait. Yes. And mm. think.
2: Yes, Stephen Kern says, you know, he's got a book, The Culture of Love, um, and he says that for the Victorians, love was all about waiting. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Waiting around for mm-hmm. something to happen. Yes. Mm. Um, I'm going to put in a plug too for Jane Austen because I love Jane Austen, and but I don't see her. Um, I don't see her novels as as purely romantic as I think has been kind of. I think r- Persuasion absolutely is, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of people just associate Jane Austen with romance, and we've talked about Jane Austen a lot on this podcast. But what interests me is that there's not a lot of happy marriages in Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. There's horrible really depressing visions of marriage so she doesn't even though she gives you a love story that is as satisfying as Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Darcy and there's a reason why Elizabeth and Darcy are like the romance er couple you know the, mm-hmm. the couple that's valorized kind of above all um, but look at every other marriage in that book mm-hmm.
2: Yes, but I think also love is very differently understood yeah, in Austen's right. time. M- one of my favourite confession scenes, because you know, one of the important um, scenes in the romance novel is the declaration or the con- confession of love. And I, I love the scene in Emma where George Knightley says to Emma, I have blamed you and lectured you, and you have borne it as no other woman in England has borne it. <laughs> it's <is> so lover-like. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, um, and I think you really get a sense of how differently love Love is understood during yeah. that period of time because this is proof of his love, and his he sees her as worthy mm. of um, of being loved because she's put up with her lover's scoldings.
0: Yeah, and she's sort of met with him and like given it back to him as well. So there is yeah. a more kind of um, egalitarian yes. relationship set up yes. there.
1: Mm. But that, I? That, that, uh, sorry, I was just going to say that that got me thinking about the confession scene in mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice. Where Darcy confesses to Elizabeth for the first time, and she scorns his confession. Mm-hmm. You no, know, um it's almost in, in that particular scene the woman has the power that she rejects him, and in fact he was very hesitant even at the end to confess again until he was sure that she was willing to accept his confession. You know, second time. I mean, well, she, that had, she an
0: extraordinarily poor confession. It was a very Your poor family is Awful, yeah. but I'm going to raise. <laughs> yeah, the bar. I, I, what does it say? You know, <laughs>
1: against my. Uh, better judgment against my wishes, against every five of my being. You know, I must confess that, <laughs> yeah. that. And she's like, yeah, great. Despite
0: uh, all of the negatives <laughs> about you. <laughs> yeah.
1: It actually reminds me of another film, which wasn't a very good film, but it had uh, a great line in it. Um, it was considered the worst proposal uh, ever. Uh, what was the film? I've forgotten now. It's got Renée Zelliger and Chris O'Donnell in it. Uh, and he basically takes it to this fancy restaurant, gives a ring, and says, you win.
0: I love that
1: and she says you win she's like is that a pose he's he's like you know yeah you know either shit or get off the pot (laughs) (laughs) and she's like did you really just say shit or get off the pot (laughs) and so for me that was one of the best you know worst confession scenes
0: Ever. Um. Oh my god. <laughs> but well, that, yeah, that yeah. ties back nicely to Suming's point about like women get it all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. But that reminds me
2: of um, another trashy romance novel that I read, um, where I, I was very amused by the declaration scene. That's what it's called. Yeah. So this is Linda Howard's Mister um, Perfect. And it's about a group of women who write a list of the perfect, perfect qualities they want in a man. And um, they start off with really nice, you know, he's got to be kind, nice, compassionate, and all of that. And then, like, he's got to have a 10-inch dick. <laughs> anyway, um, so the, uh, the hero's a cop. She um, shows the uh, And the, uh, the declaration or, cor- or confession scene comes in, um, after the first time they have sex. And he sort of rolls off her and goes, shit. And she's going, shit, you know, is that it? <laughs> and she's really outraged. And he's going, now I've got to marry you. <laughs> and she's, and so it's it's similar. But then he starts to tell her all the things that she, uh, that he really likes about her and that made him fall in love with her. She's rude. She mm. swears a lot. <laughs> she's, you know, she's irritating. She's eccentric. She's funny and all of this. Um, and it's really interesting to compare that with um, with uh, I guess with Pride and Prejudice mm. or, or any of the Austen declarations because it's completely the opposite in terms of manners and and um, the restraint of sexuality. But both of them, un, I guess, underline the imp, uh, the importance of the disclosure of the self. You know, yeah. you've got to analyze how mm-hmm. you fell in love, um, all the qualities, all of those kinds of things, and in, in order to achieve intimacy. So mm-hmm. the romance is never just about love; it is about you know how do we really know each other enough um, for intimacy?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the modern sort of um, reappropriation of the Pride and Prejudice story, which is uh, Bridget Jones's diary, has the confessional scene in a very similar way. I mean, what changes Bridget's mind about that particular Darcy is that he says, you know, um, uh, I like you just as you are. No, mm-hmm. not but this, but that, but that. But yeah, she says that line, just as you are, which is the line that haunts her over and over again. She sort of said, you know, well, she's had people like her for a different reason, but never just as mm-hmm. she is. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of come. So me Billy thinking. Joel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that, you that, just that, the way you are. That, yeah, that's <laughs> Me just went, oh, just love it. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, look, no, I, I think um, especially the fact that we've been talking about um, Jane Austen and, and sort of more historical romances as well, it's, it's really, I think, a, a moment to sort of take stock of the degree to which marriage has been contractual hmm. um, yes. and, and the degree to which, you know, sort of love hasn't always or, you know, doesn't always centre around it. And um, I was thinking of Armadale, Wilkie uh, Collins Armadale. because I She keeps
1: trying to drive that point home, you know? It's yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's a like book a It's Jimmy like a little, like a little guilty it. needle that she yeah. likes to jab into me every now and then. <laughs> Remember you? that book Armadale yeah, that I love.
3: <laughs> he told me to read it <laughs> and he was going to read it. And I read it and he didn't.
0: I've been so very I busy.
1: Feel good. <laughs>
0: So what is there a, well is look I, I think what love I love story? about
3: it is is that um you know it's a it's a very convoluted a plot story. involving you know sort of lots of impossible coincidences like two sons who are you know sort of um, equally share the name Armadale but the thing that I adore is is that the the the, the protagonist is is actually this gorgeous flaming um, sort of redhead Lydia who is well in her 30s um, which in that time you can sort of go <gasps> No, my yeah. God! Yeah. You know, sort of not well in your 30s, um, who manages to um, pass herself off as someone in her 20s in order to seduce the two brothers, depending on which one is going to inherit. Um, and so you just get this... Um, I think I don't have to read the novel anymore. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, no, no. I tell you that is only the very basic plot line. But I, I, I think the extremes that that book go, goes to and where the book does end up, I won't now that you've mentioned it, sort of spoil the plot. But um, it, it, it's just that notion that in a, in a society where if, if a woman wants to get hold of um, or create security or wealth or any of those things, it is through marriage. Mm. And so what happens when somebody takes that to the nth degree... And you know, sort of which is actually, I may as well say it, murder and suicide. Yeah. But um you, you, you know, it, it is that wonderful exploration of, of of what does one do and what what is one willing to do in in order to achieve. Um, one's goals and, and I think because we are given a glimpse into her and I think that is what's fascinating isn't it when you're given a glimpse mm-hmm. into you know sort of the thinking processes and the inner world of, of those um, those characters and Wilkie Collins does that, he gives us her diary entries and um, so, so you, you do have this wonderful inner conflict and so this really sort of knowing um, marvellous villain who, yeah, um, I think is my my hero. <laughs>
0: yes, I,
1: I promise we will do a podcast on Armageddon no, no. once I'm done.
0: <laughs> I will read it too, I promise. But I think that's what's interesting about about Austin. To go back to the point mm-hmm. that made earlier, is that this is the point at which marriage is at least notionally shifting from mm-hmm. contractual to effective. you know. So even though we have a lot of marriages in Austin that are contractual that are based on shoring up money and all that we do have this idea that the the um, marriage of the companionate marriage is going to become increasingly important so i don't think it's any kind of um coincidence that austin is seen as like the mother of romance um even though you know there's a long history of romance writing that predates yes austin
1: how did you guys feel about um mansfield park
0: because
1: oh. yeah that i was just thinking of the um there was a there's a scene in there where I can't remember her name now.
0: Fanny Price.
1: Uh, not Fanny Price, the, the, the mother, um, Fanny's mother.
0: Oh she yeah. Said, yeah, you know, yeah. She
1: said you know she said she married for love.
0: Yeah, yeah and look what happens. Yeah, her yeah. husband
1: became drunk, and, yeah. and I just thought that was one of, that was quite a bleak moment, even though it does end. You know, quite.
2: That's I why think, I think you know. you're right, Steph. Um, I don't think Austen is romantic in the way that a lot of readers think she is, because mm. quite often love is not enough. Yep. And she does this balance very clearly between affect and interest. Mm. So it's n- not just contract, but okay, you love somebody, but do they have enough um, income to, keep, yeah. uh, to, to, <laughs> to give you your happy ever after?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Right. And I mean, she's very clear-sighted about like, okay, you might love somebody. This person doesn't have enough money. It's going to go really badly if mm. you're going to end up like managing how to eat. Yes, You know, that's going to put strain on any relationship, yes. no matter what the intentions are.
2: Like, if we think about sense and sensibility, I mean, Eleanor Dashwood is only able to marry Edward Ferris because he's given a living, mm. a clergyman's living, mm. by uh, Colonel Brandon. Otherwise, yes. they wouldn't have an, an, enough of an income to support their marriage.
0: Yeah, and she's it's, very clear-sighted. And yeah. it's certainly
2: not ever enough just to feel physically attracted, you
0: you Mm. know, because
3: I think that's the other thing. You are always given examples where that goes down. Well, um, Marianne Dashwood and what's his name? Mm. Willoughby. Willoughby, that's Mm. right. Um, Which is interesting because I think that when you, and I don't know, but my impression is is from from movies and and, um, sort of modern romances is often um, people are encouraged to follow, you know, those sort of initial desires Mm. um, in ways that is very... Sort of indicative of, of a particular time and its um, priorities and um, values and all of those sorts of mm. things. That you know, it's 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 because it's quite an indulgent thing to do. I mm. feel this way, so I'm going for it. Mm. You know, yes. whereas I think um, Austin has it has a has a far more um, pragmatic view in the understanding that you need to also connect on an intellectual level mm. um, and be each other's match yes. on more than just a physical level, which I think is. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's very savvy, isn't it? You know, yeah.
0: And I mean, if you look at something like Mansfield Park, I mean, I personally really love that novel, but um, I don't at all care about Fanny and Edmund because I think Edmund is boring. <laughs> um, and but I don't think that she asks us to really invest in that as a relationship. I mean, if you look at the end of the novel, she doesn't narrate their um, their declaration of love at all. She just says, "Oh, you know, he got over um, Mary Crawford in the in the time that." Mm-hmm that you could be expected to get over it. And then he naturally, you know, looked around and saw Fanny and fell in love with her, (laughs) and she was then happy. And she doesn't give you any of that. She doesn't give you any romantic payoff. She doesn't let you see that moment. She doesn't let you see, you know, how... I mean, she she almost has a go at him in the way that she narrates his, his shifting interest.
2: Yes, and that's because during that period of time people don't trust romantic feelings. Mm. I mean, uh, and, you know, now it's like what you say, Michelle, it's all about following your heart. It's all Mm. about the prioritizing of passion, you know, desire, romantic feelings and all of that. But in the 19th century, romantic feelings are really sus. They Mm. come and go. They're very unstable. What you look for in terms of love is character first and Mm. foremost, right? And then intellectual compatibility, but also in an age, you know, which is dominated by Christianity, spiritual communion as well. So Mm. So ideas about Love have changed, yeah. and I think in many ways. You know, I was reading Susan Austen of Wise's um, "The Glass Slipper," and she says what's happened to uh, to um, Austen is that she's become Brontified yeah. by <laughs> modern day readers. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think that's really um, visible in the um, 2005 um, movie version yes. of, of Pride and Prejudice, which looks with Keira Knightley's name. Yeah, the yeah, Keira Knightley one that looks like a Bronte. There I didn't was, like that
1: adaptation. Uh, no, no, at I didn't all. like it at
0: all. But that. I think it, it's it's definitely set up to be this you know romantic, passionate Bronte kind of story,
1: which I didn't think Austen. Well,
0: was. she's well, not. No, no. You know, yeah. that's
1: not how I envision. It. For me, Crime yeah. Prejudice is the the BBC one, you know, yeah, with Colin Firth. Um, oh yeah,
0: that's. But it is that that's, overlaying
3: that's, that's of one yeah. particular you know sort of set of social values on a, on another, isn't mm-hmm. it? And and yes. I mean that's all. And our
0: understanding of like yes. a passionate love connection. Um, yeah. Yes.
3: Whereas you're always intrigued, I think. That's what you were saying, Shuming, is is the way that um, a, a really great romance writer will actually tap into and, in some way draw attention to the sorts of norms that are uh, essentially, um, you know, forging our notion of what it is mm-hmm. to being, you know, to have a romantic relationship, to read, you know, sort of romance or romantic films, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and so you will actually develop that sort of self-consciousness a, around your own time, Yes. Yeah. whereas, you know, I think some romance... Because I I have to admit, and it was it was for work, so (laughs) it wasn't just a sort of. But I did need to read. um, What were those? uh, What were those vampire movies? Twilight. Twilight. Yeah, I did. I did need to read one of those for a (laughs) research assistant job. Um, You know, um, so it was sort of against my will. Um, But but what (laughs) what 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 you sort of noticed with that was just that unproblematic. Um, sort of acceptance of you know I feel love I follow it and I, you know to the nth degree and and also I think the thing that um, sort of struck me was how it seemed so central that it was that first love as well mm-hmm. um, which given the fact that I think the, um, the, the readership was, was largely sort of middle-aged women, <laughs> married women you know, mm, with, with children and things teenagers. like this. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know who it was. But, um, you know, whereas I think a good romance will actually sort of draw attention to the sorts of ideas um, so that you have that self-awareness around what your particular time is doing or or the degree to which, um, say, for example, American culture infiltrates, yes. you know, sort of your notion of of what is... You know, sort of romance, and, and, and that's yeah. always. Um, yeah.
1: Well, that, well, that's interesting because I recently, um, one of my other addiction is so uh, YouTube, uh, and I particularly like Watch Mojo, they do these top 10 lists um, on YouTube. And one of the things, the, a recent list they did was the top 10 uh, movie genres that uh, have become extinct, that have died out. And they've listed there quite high up um, as one of the genres that that have disappeared, uh, the rom-com, the romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. They said that was a product of the 90s. It was hugely successful in the 90s when I was growing up, obviously. Uh, (laughs) Hence why I'm so warped Mm -hmm. and sappy the way I am, because I grew up on rom-coms. But apparently it's not that uh, profitable anymore. Uh, People Mm -hmm. don't make rom-coms anymore. And and if I think about the romantic films now, they tend more to be uh, dramas, romantic there may be a little bit of comedy. There's a lot of eroticism happening at the moment, so mm. with you know Fifty Shades of Grey and all that I haven't seen or read the book, so I can't comment on, on any of that. But um, there is now a movement more towards uh, serious romantic film as opposed to... Light yeah, maybe that was because
2: film. of the infantilization of the heroine and the, and mm. the '90s mm. rom-com. Because if you compare them with the '40s, like with mm. Catherine Hepburn, for example, mm. I mean, you've got adult women, you know, who are very smart, sassy, and all yes. the rest of that, and you can understand why people fall in love with them. Mm. I look at something like Kate Hudson. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I don't understand why anybody will fall in love with them. But, but mm. I also wonder
3: if it's a, it's about a sort of a bigger world picture too. I mean, mm. in in the sense that there, and I was thinking at that time when you were talking about, um, you know, the way that when you have romance and crime together, Mm -hmm. there's a sort of a decentering of the couple and of the romance or or it takes its part within the whole. And, you know, there is something I think very self-indulgent and um, sort of, uh, sort of navel-gazing about those rom-coms of the 90s mm. that I don't think works in a world where we're so conscious of, you know, sort of the divide, the, the, the sort of, um, you know, refugee crises, you know, all of the sorts of things that are happening that may not actually find their way directly into the content of, of the romances and, and the Hollywood productions and things, but do actually shape the sorts of stories that we're accepting um, as viewers. Um, because it's true, you couldn't. I, I couldn't imagine. Because um, Foxtel's terrible, you know. Just <laughs> replays, you know those um, those ones, those the Kate Hudson ones, mm. and, and all all yeah. those
1: ones. And it's just all like, about failure like, to launch. Like, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah I think awful.
3: that was actually on uh, the yeah. weekend. Yeah. And, you know, it's no,
1: that that question. was basically at the tail end of the rom coms, and they were just doing some really really generic, formulaic, very terrible films. But at the beginning of the rom com, there were some really really good, interesting ones coming out. I mean, I was thinking. Sleepless in Seattle. I know it's sappy and oh, everything, right. but I, I mm, do yes. love Sleepless in Seattle. You know, so it and works. it's a very unusual yeah. one, you know, because the mm. lovers never meet until yes. the very, very end. Uh, they almost have this mm, uh, uh, connection. Yeah, it romance. was just—it was absolutely. And wonderful.
3: email was early on. I mean, it was early yeah. on. Like yes. you know, you really did hear yes. that bing bong and the flag going mm. up. <laughs> I, and <laughs> if, and in the fact, there was box. another one
1: later on, um, which uh, coupled them together again, called You've Got Mail. Yes. About two people who were enemies in life, but were lovers through emails but mm. they didn't realize that and then one of them discovers uh, the identity of the other and then there was a sort of a shift in mind but a lot of those films actually harked back to the Golden Age of Hollywood yeah. yes. so um, you know Slippers in Seattle went back to uh, an affair to remember mm. uh, you've right. got mail went back to uh, little shop around the corner so yes yeah, so when
2: Harry met Sally they've got the scene where they're both watching Casablanca yeah mm. yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah so it's, it's always going back to that you know yes. golden You're age right. of yes. Hollywood where you know uh, we have different types of representation of of mm. um, Male and female dynamics, as
0: well. I go assuming I love the um, the old kind of forty screwball kind of rom-coms, like the Philadelphia the, story. Yeah, yeah, that mm. sort of thing. The Catherine mm. Hepburns the Carol Lombards, because they always mm. seem to have something beyond the romance going on. To get back such to the cow- charismatic. I love um, yes. it. I love Mae West. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and there was always like a, a thing that they were trying to do, um, rather than just the romance. And the romance came out of their like being in the same place and doing the same thing. But it was always something else. And, like, I'm thinking too about the, um, um, this is really old, the Thin Man series, oh, that yes. old detective series yes. with um, William Powell and Myrna Loy, where mm. they had that um, the, the two detectives, right, and they saw crime with their dog. Um, and they were such great films because, again, it's about the crime and they're about their kind of mutual... They're married um, and they have, like, this mutual enterprise of solving crimes. And it's, it's rom-commy, even though the point is not to get them together because they're already together. But they've got something else going on,
1: mm-hmm. you know, which
0: is these screwball crimes and they're hard drinking and, you know, it's all fabulous. Well, well, I was actually thinking
1: <laughs> about another film and also book which is consistently ranked in you know, the greatest love story of all time. Although, when I think about it, it's not really that much of a romance. Um, which has Gone with the Wind. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had a very long history with that because I read that when I was very young. This is why I'm so warped. Uh, I, I think did
0: too, but I'm not warped like you. Oh, you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> or perhaps, yeah, Jimmy's unwarped. You yeah. Know, and, and, this this, you this know, podcast should I, I, be renamed I, I, Stephanie as a go Jimmy. I, I, so 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 yeah. I know, I, mean,
2: I know. It's just emotionally healthy. She's an optimist. Which is really great. Anyway, go on.
1: But no, I was thinking with Gone with the Wind because... When I first read that, I actually didn't like it as much as I thought I would have, um, mm-hmm. only because it didn't end happily ever after. Yeah. Um, and I didn't actually like Scarlett O'Hara that <gasps> much as a, I know that much as a character. Um, I was actually always for Melanie. I thought Melanie was just oh, a, she's so boring. <laughs> Sorry, I knew you on, were going to say that. An I'll, I'll be but, <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> but as I've gotten older, I've actually begun to uh, appreciate Scarlett as a character a lot more. And in fact, by the end, I actually don't really want her to be punished as as harshly uh, as she seemed to have been by by the end. I did read a review once that I thought was quite funny that um, they said that uh, by the end of it, after everything she's gone through, disillusioned with love, she's turned to real estate.
0: She always was more (laughs) interested in real estate. (laughs) Well,
2: there is a pride and prejudice um, connection there, right, with Mm. Elizabeth Bennet, you know, mischievously suggesting that she first fell in love with Mr Darcy when she saw the beautiful grounds at Pemberley. Yeah. Mm
0: logical really <laughs> <laughs> i mean come on it was a really nice estate and he proved his worth by being a really nice manager you know like he's being he's he's, he's, like he's managers, good to his tenants he's, tenant his, he's good to his servants he's good yeah. to his tenants he manages the estate really well and that's an indicator of how good a dude he actually is underneath all of the gruff kind of exterior
1: so you know the way to man's heart is through his stomach the way to woman's heart is through real estate that's right
0: <laughs> There is
2: actually, um, uh, I think uh, some feminist wrote a book called Romance and the Erotics
0: of Property. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I should read that. Just <laughs> so
1: like, you know, what's the name of that author again?
0: Um, so that actually brings me on to what I wanted to also talk about, which is romances that don't work for you, that you hate um, or that irritate you. Because I have a real problem with Jane Eyre. I don't find it at all romantic because I hate Mr. Rochester. I think he's a bully and horrible. And I can never go along with the romantic fantasy of Mr. Rochester because he treats Jane Eyre terribly through that entire book. Like, come on, dude. You're proposing oh, to this it's woman. It's Rochester in the outfit, does it? <laughs> For me I but can't yeah, quite, you
3: know what does yeah. it do to you as a human being to have somebody that but you were once married to up yeah. in your attic but I, I did I was, white
1: sagasso see it influence your view of Jane no, no I, was, I always hated
3: okay. it well I was shocked <laughs> as a child when I read that
0: yeah. I couldn't believe that she could just burn to death
3: yeah. yeah, I mean
0: I was just like one woman's happiness at the expense of another one burning to death but I was death. actually
3: shocked at myself because I had that moment you know that doubling moment and I, I was actually very young when I read it and I didn't read it again because it was so I found it so upsetting was that I had that moment where I caught myself wanting Mrs. Rochester to burn and then I thought Michelle that's a terrible (laughs) terrible thing to want for anybody and then I thought this is a terrible terrible book (laughs) I I thought how can you have a happy ending when somebody's burned to death in a small room where had yeah. been kept for a long, long time. I mean, that's,
0: what it, that's like a huge red flag. Like, you're, you're, the guy you're in love with, you know, locks up his wife in a mm-hmm. room and, you know, flirts with you and proposes knowing full well he's already married. You know, come on. And then, like, he does things like dress up and kind of trap her into, you know, dress up as a gypsy in mm-hmm. order to, to get her to say things about about how she feels about mm-hmm. him. I'm like,
3: This isn't cool. But but also the suggestion that I think was implicit, that one ought to feel sorry for Mr. Rochester for having this terrible burden up Mm -hmm. in his attic.
0: (laughs) And I mean, this is all like a very kind of 21st century interpretation. So I think that like if you were Charlotte Bronte, I think you'd be thinking, isn't it terrible that he's saddled with a mad wife? So I think we're we're also bringing our kind of well, it's a tragedy
3: of not. I think it's a tragedy of the time when, first of all, I mean, you you can't just um, divorce.
0: Yeah, 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 that's right. Because there Mm
3: -hmm. there isn't that option if you make a bad marriage. Um, So so there's a real no, and there's there's a real acknowledgement of the fact that you can live with impossible. Conditions yeah. because there's a society that won't allow you to mm. do anything about it, um, and that comes down mm-hmm. to you know sort of very much the spiritual side of mm-hmm. things yeah. in terms of everyone agreeing mm. that in actual fact you know sort of one one wife one one life one wife yeah, sort yeah. Of yes. thing unless she's yes. dead or you're dead or, or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's certainly tapped into that. Um, but but it, I, I I think that moment of, was was too it was too much for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so, are there
0: any other romances that really irk you? I
1: I was actually just racking my brain and I can't think of any that I feel so passionately about. I mean, there's a lot that I don't like, but nothing that I feel particularly passionate. There is one song that I feel particularly passionate about um, that shouldn't really be considered a, a love song, um, even though people love playing it at weddings and. I think it's you know the best uh, Valentine's Day song, which is um, what's that song? Uh, Ed Sheeran's uh, "Thinking Out Loud." There's a line I there don't that, that. Oh, there's a line oh, that I, I do, just absolutely gut, detest. This it says, you know, uh, darling, I'll be loving you till we're seventy.
0: And uh, what, and then it starts? <laughs> exactly.
1: That's my point. Oh, 70 now. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and people are like, you know, oh. People are like, you know, oh, it's such a romantic song. It's like, till we're 70. It's like, what very happens precise. after 70? very side.
2: precise. Oh, maybe I know. when you're in your 20s, you think you never get to 70. Maybe yeah. it's a metaphoric
3: 70. You know, like maybe it's no, not No, so even that doesn't work 70. for me. It's just like, that's the, what's the biggest number I'm, I can think of? I'm a 70. A,
1: <laughs> I almost feel like I'm thinking, okay, well. I'm now 65, I've got five <laughs> years left, and then that's it.
0: Adios. So Did it make like, make, so make like the, the night before your 70th birthday, like really anxiety? <laughs> it's
1: like, well, darling,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 70 now. This is, this, is, this is the last night, I'm out. Midnight, 10, nine, eight, 7, 6, boom, it's far. Yeah, we're out of here, we're gone, you know, it's yeah. all over. No,
1: I have a lot of students who tell me they love that song, and I'm just thinking, like, I just have to bite my tongue, because I think, you no, know, till we're 70. So no. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs>
3: <Jimmy, say> it's <laughs> a so
1: that's about the only thing like, I hate things like that. I hate things that are seemingly romantic but are absolutely rather, you know, idiotic. Yeah. <laughs> or inane. So they're the only thing. But um I was actually thinking also um, this might be a little bit of a cheat, I don't I don't think it doesn't work for me, but it balances out the I've got a bit of a duality. So uh, there's a sappy side of me, which really loves the sappy stuff, mm-hmm. and then there's a very dark side of me, which, which loves serial killer, which you know we we've talked, talked about, about in your different podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so <same laughs> note, um, people have known about that really dark, terrible side, and then this really sappy romantic side. So you know, fortunately, I'll never be a. a you take multitudes, you yeah. multitudes, yeah, plurality. Yeah, love that. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, a book and also a film that um, sort of deals with both aspects of it which I think really encapsulates this idea um, is atonement so for Mm. me you know I I love the idea of really uh, it's quite depressing when you think about it but happy endings can really only occur in fiction Mm. you know so the lovers can really only be together when she writes it that way in reality they don't in reality they die and have a terrible ending and justice is never met and, you know... It's a comes war a sort of... St- exactly, material. so, you yeah, yeah. um, know, I think the film and the book does work for me uh, because it does have that double ending, so to speak. You can look at it either way. Mm-hmm. It could be seen as, you know, if you want the happy ending, you have to go with the, the fictionalised account mm-hmm. of the happy ending. But if you want the real ending, it's not <clears throat> going to be so happy.
3: Do you know what I just suddenly thought of a book that did sit with me forever? Um, it, Love, in, Love in the Time of Cholera. You know, because no. that mm-hmm. image of those t- you know <laughs> those two floating down. Um, what was the terrible disease that was? That they're, they're on the they're on the boat floating down the river, and and he's. They're both well, and then I think they're in their—is it their eighties or their nineties? But the, you know, the description of their skin is such that you have this very, very, very clear image of just how sort of shriveled up they've become. <laughs> and, and she has this moment where she says, "Oh, you know, sort of the thought of having you know sort of sex at this age, you know, all this sort of thing. What are we going to have to do?" But she agrees to go with him down the aisle, and so they lie on uh, sort of side by side with these hands, you know, sort of touching, and as they float through, um, you know, sort of a cholera filled um, landscape oh, that does appeal <laughs> <laughs> you're very know. dark in the I stuff. know just, well you notice that counter right? you know sort of that there's your happily ever after yeah, yeah. So, you know because the guy didn't have I mean he didn't have her his entire life uh-huh. but he waited patiently for her They were he was in love with her when they were both sort of 16 or 17 and she married a doctor and property, yeah. um, as you do, mm-hmm. and had a very full life with children, and then the, her husband dropped off the ladder and um, dies, and then this guy thinks, oh, wacko!" knock on the door, <laughs> 60, 70 years later, and then just through sheer perseverance, um, mm-hmm. you know, they do end up on, on a boat floating down the river in the time of course.
0: <laughs> we have almost run out of time. Um, so that we don't end on that colorific note. Um, <laughs> does anyone else have any... No, no, no. That was, that was very interesting. <laughs> um, but does anyone else have any romantic books or love stories or whatever that they'd like to recommend for our listeners just before we go? Um, if you need a second to think, I'm going to say Georgette Heyer. Because <laughs> I, I don't need any excuse to talk about Georgette Heyer. I think she's wonderful. She writes really psychologically convincing books um, love stories and they often have got a mystery kind of element to them as well um things like um the convenient marriage the Tollgate*, the, um, the reluctant widow have got something else going on besides the this sort of central love story um and also she's really funny i was just rereading regency bark actually um and there's a whole running story about how the heroine's younger brother is 19 and he's fallen in love and everyone's waiting for him to like you know get sick of his fiance because he is 19 and so she says oh well they've been in love for six months so that must be it must be true love because six months at 19 is a long time (laughs) Um, and she's just so funny and witty so yes Mm -hmm. read your chat higher. anything else you'd like to recommend I
2: think for me it's not so much romance novels if I think about me getting really really sappy Jimmy <laughs> it's actually Shakespeare's sonnets oh, you know? nice. let me not yeah. to the marriage of true minds admit imp- impediments love is not love which alters when an alteration finds yeah. just love that one you know yeah. um, it's not about the beautiful it's not about the standard beauty and all of that and that's the thing I guess that's not covered in love stories or mm. in romances people who are old you know Michelle and people who are really <laughs> overweight why did you point able. at Michelle when you said old <laughs> <And> <laughs> simply <laughs> because she'd been talking about love in the time of cholera <laughs> yeah. you know um, the, the people who are poor who are res- without resources and all of that and um, you know and, and I think you know th- th- in many ways I guess if I think about it the, um, probably um, the love sonnet does it for me because it's just uh, that emotion and an ideal without the narrative you don't have to think about whether it ends happily or not Yeah, you know and even and, and he does run the whole gamut you know even um, what is it that time of year thou mayst in me behold when autumn yeah. leaves on none of you do hang and it's about old love you know mm. so I think for me probably it's not a. It's not a novel. It's um. It's Shakespeare's love sonnets.
0: That is an excellent suggestion. I love that. Anything else?
2: William Carlos Williams, the Ivy Crown.
3: That's oh. another one that's uh-huh. really beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Um, where you do have that sense of old, sustained love, but you have the metaphor of having gone through the briars, and you know, sort of the Ivy Crown is not an easy crown to wear. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there we go. Yes. I
0: like that, Jimmy. Any other? Well, recommendations?
1: I'll put in a plug for a uh, a film that I saw at the Sydney uh, Film Festival last year, which. This year has been nominated for uh, Best Foreign Film. Uh, it's a, I'm going to forget the uh, country now, Romanian, I think, film. It's called On Body and Soul, and it's about uh, a woman uh, who's autistic uh, falls, uh, and a man who has a crippled arm due to some accident. Uh, and through some uh, sort of coincidence, they discover they've actually been sharing a dream, like literally a dream together, every night having this dream. About two deers, and he's the stag, and she's the the female deer, and Mm -hmm. uh, they're walking together Mm -hmm. in this forest. And and their dreams continue in this strange narrative. It's one of the most bizarre (laughs) films I've ever seen, and yet it sounds absolutely ridiculous. But you have to watch this because it is just superb.
0: Jimmy has has reduced the rest of the panel to hysterical (laughs) laughter. It is.
1: It's like you know. If I describe (laughs) it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, and when you watch it, you will laugh because it's so funny. And I think it is also intentionally funny as well. Uh, Like, they get to some of the most ridiculous scenes, but it actually works for some bizarre reason. I can't figure it out. And for me, that's the the magic of this film. You know, if you try to describe it to people, it does sound really, really odd. But when you watch it, it's... I don't don't know what it is. Um, I'm not even
0: having a go at you, Jimmy. No, I know. It's Michelle that...
1: that I know, look at the two of them.
0: I'm just laughing because
2: the deer reminds me of something Michelle was telling me about a lonely marlin, a fish alone, who lost its partner. And,
3: and I'm thinking about your peacock, <laughs>
1: We might have to cut this. I apart. think we have to. Uh, no, no. <laughs> oh, my God, Father. Stop, Jimmy. <laughs> stop. If only we had some uh, video feed here. You could see the two of them. Uh, they're absolutely hysterical. I think Michelle is actually in tears right now. She's almost fetal. I think that is an appropriate
0: place to um, I tried to so end. hard to cover it. I did. I went down. I put my head between my knees. I tried so hard. I think this is an appropriate place to I finish so. the <laughs> Valentine's Day podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Thank you, Suming, for, for joining in. I'm not going to talk to Michelle because she is currently incapacitated. She is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy, and I'm sorry for making fun of you. That's for so
1: all right. What else am I here for? Exactly,
0: exactly, exactly. Um so we're gonna go and laugh our little socks off. Um Thank you for listening. Um please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and I think we need to go and have a good laugh. <laughs> See ya.